I cannot stand, stand up straight and, and sit up straight. And I have words for the person that started it because I have never seen that help someone free themselves into buoyant balance. I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Arielle Weiss. Arielle Weiss is a certified teaching member of Alexander Technique International and has maintained a lively private practice in Philadelphia since 1988. Trained as a modern dancer and choreographer, Arielle delights in helping musicians learn to move freely in service of their music and has responded to the current pandemic by offering six weekly classes on Zoom and by creating the Move Free, Play Free online course and Facebook group for musicians. Arielle has coached musicians at the Curtis Institute of Music since 1998 and also trains teachers at the Philadelphia School for the Alexander Technique. She previously co-produced the Freedom to Make Music Conference in New York City, served as faculty with the Well-Balanced Pianist, and has created numerous Alexander workshops both regionally and internationally. Active as a presenter, she presents annually at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and has presented at Grand Rounds at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, at the Freedom to Act Conference, the 2015 Alexander Technique International Annual General Meeting, and the 11th International Congress on the Alexander Technique. You can find more about Arielle and her offerings on her Alexander Technique Philadelphia website, www.atphila.com, spelled A-T-P-H-I-L-A and social media pages. Arielle, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I'm really excited about this project that you're embarking on. Glad to be part of it. Thank you. First, I'd like to talk extreme basics. Can you give mm -hmm. us the elevator pitch for what Alexander Technique is? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Uh, I love to think of the technique as our best kept secret. And I think what we do is, as Alexander teachers, we help people learn about their own mind-body coordination. And when we discover patterns of our habits that interfere with our best functioning, we then have a choice to kind of re-aim ourselves into full buoyant balance so we can feel and function at our best. That's great. Yes. And I definitely want to focus on this idea of balance and keeping everything aligned and talk about that as it relates to different motions involved in piano playing. But first, I'd like to talk still a little bit big picture about technique. Mm -hmm. In general, although you, of course, agree that it's important for technique to be relaxed, sometimes you're tentative to tell students to relax. And I remember one Facebook Live session with you when a student was feeling confused about her voice teacher uh, telling her to relax her jaw. And you helped this student work through that and explained your hesitancy to using that term, even if you agree with the premise that, of course, we do want to be relaxed. Can you talk about why, in general, you avoid that phrase and what you prefer saying instead? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Um, I find that relaxation is something that often we translate in a way that is slack or collapsed. Mm. And right. we all know that you can't play great piano music from a slack or a collapsed place because piano playing requires really whole body, lively movement. The question is, does that lively movement have excessive tension that's a little bit like driving around with your parking brake on? You can get your car to go, 
but it's going to really hinder its agility. It's really going to wear things out and waste an awful lot of gas or fuel. So I think of tension that way. We need some muscular tension to be upright, right? But how much and how is it being organized? So to me, I don't want someone to be uh, collapsed. I want them to be well organized so that they can move well. Um, so free to me is a better term than relaxed because mm. so often the way we translate relaxed is we turn everything off and we kind of live in this either or, either I'm tight or I'm relaxed. And I'm like, no, 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 there's a lot in between. And that's, that's the rich area we need to explore. Yeah, this reminds me of a recent Facebook Live you had where you centered the whole thing on this theme of a balance of mobility and stability mm -hmm. and too much stability and you kind of tense up, but then too much mobility, which could be the byproduct of, as you say, overemphasis on relaxing and then you collapse and you, there's slack and it's not engaging the muscles that we want to engage. And I do want to focus on that idea with talking about some of the specific motions that are involved in playing the piano and maybe teaching the piano and get your thoughts on some of these motions. So first, posture. One very memorable part that stuck out to me in the lessons that I've had with you on our first lesson, I remember you said that your least favorite phase is uh, sit up straight or stand up straight. Um, this has become such a cliche thing to say in the world of music. Um, so can you talk about why this idea of sitting up straight is unhelpful and what would be a better way for us as piano teachers to talk to our students about sitting posture without a risk of hyperextension? Uh. Ben, I love the question. Thank you so much. And I actually want to kind of go back even bigger picture for just one moment and talk about the power of language. All right. I love mm -hmm. how you're picking up on, on my tendencies as a teacher. Like I have biases. We all do. We're human beings. Mm -hmm. And I am plumbing the powerfulness of language. It's what Mr. Alexander used. He used mm -hmm. language in what we call his verbal directions because the language steers our attention and also our mm -hmm. intention. And so crafting exactly, choosing the words that are working well for your student, the student that's actually in front mm -hmm. of you, whether they're in front of you on a screen or if they're in front of you in a room, not the same words will work with all of our students. And so right. what you're seeing me do is constantly playing with the language I'm using to kind of see how people that's directing people's attention and their intention. So I cannot stand, stand up straight and, and sit up straight. And I have words for the person that started it because I have never seen that help someone free themselves into buoyant balance. I have seen mm -hmm. that used to cause people to overdo it and stiffen themselves. Yeah. And right. that's exactly right. You're talking about a hyperextension in your thoracic spine. Your upper back is what most people do when they sit up straight. So spines are curvy. Spines are really curvy and they're curvy for many good reasons. And when you ask someone to sit up straight, usually what they're going to do is they're going to think a picture and they're going to try to put themselves into a held picture and no pianist can play from a held place. Pianos are big, you need to move. And you don't just mm -hmm. move your fingers, you need your whole body to accommodate and follow the movement of where your hands need to go. So 
the very first thing is to get right. Piano teachers are trying to help. I assume mm -hmm. the best. I assume that piano teacher is trying to help. And the piano teacher, when they see a student collapsed, knows that that's going to diminish the agility of that student's arms and mm -hmm. hands. Right. So ask your student, right? Instead of tell your student, sit up straight, you're going to ask them, oh, how are you sitting right now? How comfortable are you? And start to ask your students to balance the weight of their head over, <clears throat> over their seat, right? So if my mm. head is balancing over my hands on the piano, that's not very balanced and it's not very mobile. So instead, I'm going to ask my student to feel their head balancing over their seat. Then nice. your seat has some rockers on it, which is a good thing so that you can actually start to rock on your rockers to reach different parts of the piano. So you start to bring their attention to the mobility of your torso at your hip joints, right? So that you're not just moving from your neck to reach the piano, but you're actually using the mobility of your pelvis. So that's your hip joints as a fulcrum. So just to be sure I understand. So when we're talking to our students about posture, perhaps better than saying sit up straight, which could cause us to kind of contort our spine into a way that's different than how the spine is naturally curved. Rather than thinking about our back or even our spine, we can think about maybe the alignment of our head with the seat and then focus maybe more on like the sensation of how it feels rather than necessarily what angle we want to be at. Is that how you would work with a student on posture? Yes, okay. that's exactly right, Ben. So what mm -hmm. I'm doing is I'm enlisting, I'm asking them to use their kinesthetic sense. Mm -hmm. Your kinesthetic sense is your internal sense of body relationship, proportion, movement, and movement quality. So if I want to play freely, I want to use that sense, not an arbitrary picture of a static place that will never work for piano playing. You, there's no right mm -hmm. place to play piano you need to move right. around. Music moves. Yeah. Pianists move. This is something I've learned a lot over the course of my teaching experience. I think when I first started teaching, I would be very into telling students, play like this or sit this way or play this. Way. And then what I've sort of tried to go more into is I think more what you're describing of what does it feel like when you do this? What does it feel like when you do that? Oh, you notice that that's comfortable. What's And let the student kind of lead the way rather than trying to force them into a position, which can sometimes cause tension as you're describing. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm trying to describe. Thank you so much for articulating it so beautifully. Thank you. Um, and you mentioned a second ago about rotating and moving from one part of the piano to another. This is something that I'm always working with my students on because often they have a tendency to want to stretch their arms to the high notes or stretch their arms to the lower notes. And I'm always working with them on um, trying to be more free with it. Uh, what are your thoughts on rotating from one register of the piano to another? And specifically, where should this motion be initiated from? Oh, I'm so glad you're asking. And I do have some favorite um teachings that I like to do with piano players because yeah. over the years I've worked with so many. And so uh, I've definitely developed uh, some ideas about mm -hmm. how pianists get into trouble <laughs> and what movement by trouble. What I mean is what movements they're interfering with. Yeah. They're not really allowing those movements. So there's a couple of favorites. One uh, is, is kind of what you're talking about that overreaching. Yeah. So overreaching for me is that hands are leading, but bodies don't follow. Mm. So if you think about reaching for something at the back of your fridge, right? So if you lock your legs, right? And you just kind of overreach, your neck is really going to get quite a pull, 
-hmm. right? So if the moment my hands start moving, right? So again, we're going to go back to finding our hip fulcrum. And I have my students put their hands right in the crease of their, where their legs meet their torso. And then as soon as my hands move, I'm letting movement happen at that hip fulcrum. Uh Some people will have an easier time finding the movement on the rockers of their sit bones. Doesn't matter either way. Either you're letting your sit bones rock as soon as your hands move, mm-hmm. or you're letting the crease, right, that hip joint itself move. But that's getting my students to actually let their whole bodies follow wherever their hands are going. And I have them do that in all directions in space. That's a great exercise. I'm definitely going to try that with some of my students. Yeah. Uh, the next motion about a uh, piano that I want to talk about is something that seems very simple, but as I've noticed is definitely not, is staring at the music. Or in the case of many <laughs> teachers nowadays staring at a computer screen. Um, this can cause a lot of tension if done incorrectly. So you've given me a lot of helpful feedback on this over the years, especially recently with this phrase that I believe you coined or maybe not, which is called nod on. Can you talk <laughs> about what you mean by nod on and how that idea can be helpful in being able to stare at music in a way that won't create excessive neck tension? Absolutely. Uh, so nodding on is my newest version of how I'm describing head balance. Right. So if we go back to the beginning, we understand that if our heads are not balanced over our seats, we're going to get that forward neck position, forward head Mm -hmm. position that causes Mm -hmm. quite a bit of strain and is going to limit the agility and mobility of your hands and arms. So Mm -hmm. when we have to look at something like a screen or a score, we have the capability of letting our head stay focused where it needs to be and allowing our body to move freely underneath that action, underneath Mm -hmm. that action. And um, nodding on for me is describing a process that Mr. Alexander described in his verbal directions. So I got kind of interested with the action of what we call nodding off when people fall asleep. When people fall asleep, their muscles relax and their head starts rotating and falling forward right? And we call it nodding off because usually they start falling forward in space, at which point they wake up and kind of snap upright. Mm -hmm. So I used that as a kind of shared experience for people to experiment with releasing, relaxing their neck muscles will start to send your skull into that little forward nod. And then instead of nodding off and falling asleep, you're going to actually let your neck soften so that your skull nods forward onto your spine. When that happens, Ben, there's this beautiful little moment of of allowing our spines to come into full length. Hmm. So instead of falling asleep, I'm nodding onto my spine so that my whole spine can lengthen. And that's a beautiful way to start a movement. So if you experiment with reaching up or down on the keyboard, If you don't nod on, you might catch yourself having your hands lead, your body not following, and your head actually pulling into your torso. Whereas if you repeat the experiment by releasing your neck and letting your skull do that little nodding onto your spine so your spine can lengthen, you'll find the mobility of the whole structure increases dramatically and also you might find more power and agility 
locally in your hands. This reminds me of uh, in one of your Facebook lives, you had everyone do the knot on and then you had them experiment with moving their head around once they had reached that knot on position and you asked uh, like, how much can you move your head before you feel your neck start to give? And at least I found it surprising that once I had that position where my head was in line with my spine, you can actually move quite a bit before you feel any degree of neck tension. And so it goes back to that idea you were bringing up earlier in the interview that we have a wide range of motion and we want to be free. And that if you have the right position and thinking of alignment, you actually can move quite a bit before you start to reach any point of tension. Right, because it's not a right place. It's yeah. a kind of turned on and attentive conversation. So I think of using my kinesthetic sense, like I'm allowing that information to come in mm. so that I can actually converse with my coordination. If I'm not paying attention, if I'm not listening, if I'm not sensing myself, then I'm not, I'm going to miss cues. I'm going to miss the fact that I've overdone it. And when I'm done right. playing, my wrist might hurt or my back might hurt or my neck might complain to me because I wasn't paying attention. Right. I just want to talk about one more component to that movement of reaching up and down the keyboard yes, please. that I have found, um, you know, sometimes it's oftentimes, may I say, it's super helpful not to be a trained musician working with musicians because I don't bring any presumptions about how you need to play piano. It's not my expertise. I leave that to you. So in this kind of naive way of watching you all move, I get to just look for coordination. Mm -hmm. I am not uh, distracted by what's good piano technique. I'm just looking at your coordination. So one thing I noticed that was missing from a lot of the pianists that I have worked with is rotational movement in your torso. Yeah. So that when you move up and down, it's a rather large instrument. I see a lot of um, side leaning, almost like the leaning tower of pizza. I see people kind of leaning to the side and tightening as they do that. Yeah. And so it occurred to me that to reach up on the keyboard, we could rotate our torso underneath our head so that our left hand comes where it needs to, to be close to your right hand as you reach to the side. And then as we reach down the keyboard, we can reverse that, we can free our neck, we can let our head nod onto our spine, and that as my right arm reaches across my body, it's actually rotating underneath my head. So that relates back to the question you asked about how yeah. do I keep watching the score is I actually disengage my neck muscles so I get free rotation underneath my head. Mm. But that alone is so fruitful to encourage pianists to, to experiment with that rotational movement, kind of like when you're walking and your body rotates underneath your head. Yes, that's definitely better than dragging your head wherever you want to go. <laughs> the final motion I want to talk about with you is pushing keys. I was mentioning a very helpful session you offered recently where you talked about the balance of mobility and stability. And this is something I really feel in the sense of pushing keys. I felt this with my students in the sense that I used to place too much emphasis on curved fingers, aka stability, and it was almost like they were whacking the keys and I could see their tension. But then if you place too much emphasis on loosening up and relaxing, their fingers can collapse. Can you elaborate on helping pianists push keys in a way that <laughs> assures maximum balance of stability and mobility? <laughs> well, I'm not sure I can um, uh, promise the right balance, but I can <laughs> certainly lead my students to be curious mm -hmm. about it. Okay. Um, and so I would encourage piano teachers to ask their students, hmm, 
Are you letting power and freedom work nicely together? Are they playing nicely together or are you overdoing the power? Are you overdoing mm. the freedom, right? Just ask your students. So for power, um, I don't know why so many of us will tighten up when we want to get stronger because actually the tightening up makes us less strong. Yeah. And I, and I love to tell my students, please don't believe me, but please do some experimenting. Yes. So a lot of times when I see pianists try to use more power, I see that power coming from their necks yeah. and from the top down, the top down, and then they lose agility and sometimes they hurt themselves. And if you have to be powerful and fast, that's going to be really hard to do if you've tightened yourself up because the tightening is literally exerting the break. And it will change the sound, by the way. It will deaden resonance in you and your instrument. Again, please don't believe me. Please do some experiments and come join me in class online and we'll experiment together. So what I try or what I ask my students to do is look for power from underneath. So um, I spend a lot of time getting my students to actually push into the floor to shift weight from their feet yeah. instead of falling over from the top. And I teach about the back muscles called the latissimus dorsi, often called lats, that are these beautiful wing muscles that come from your tailbone all the way up and wrap around your ribs and attach to your arms. So my training as a dancer, we have this thing, you know, everyone thinks the hard part of dancing is moving your legs around and doing fancy things. And really, in, especially in a classical ballet class, what's difficult is we hold our arms out in space for hours. Like we train to hold our arms out for a long period of time. I have wondered how dancers do that. It's actually, well, what you do is you build your back. Mm -hmm. You use your back muscles and in, in dance training we say, arms from the back arms from the back and so that rather circular system of my back muscles attaching to my arms rooted from my pelvis right so that i'm getting that power from underneath yeah and using my whole body instead of my neck trying to steer my hands which will never um it, it won't work as well because you're not recruiting the bigger muscles. Yeah, and, and related to this idea of working with children and you can explain things in different ways. Um, as many of our listeners are probably noticing, your way of communicating ideas is very rigorous and is based on scientific research and decades of experience as an Alexander Technique teacher. Um, I believe most of our listeners principally work with children. Children may not be receptive to being spoken to in a highly scientific way. Some teachers attempt to talk about biology with students, albeit at a simplified level. Others try to use pictures and analogies to describe technique, like play like you're holding a bubble. Some do kind of a mixture. Do you have any thoughts on conveying some of the more complex ideas of Alexander technique and technique in general to a child? Sure. Well, um, I let my creative juices flow and I let my imagination flow. <laughs> And I come up with new movement analogies and metaphors daily. And not just with children, I do the same thing with adults. And I keep my eyes open and I see what's actually connecting and actually helping. Mm. So I might have a new movement analogy or metaphor that I love, but if it's not helping my student, then that's not helpful to them. 
and no judgment either way. I can still like my analogy and try it with someone else. So for instance, right. uh, I had a student the other day uh, who was narrowing their back, who's tightening their back. And a lot of pianists do that. Mm. A lot of pianists over straighten yep. their thoracic spine, their upper back, and tighten their back, which is, by the way, going to hinder the agility and power of your arms and hands. So I was looking at this student and I just let my creativity kind of speak to me. And I said, imagine a peacock, right? Because peacocks have, and if you go, that's going to be on a social media post. Uh, next week, I'm going to have a picture of a peacock and I'm going to talk about the beautiful, uh -huh. colorful backwardness of a peacock's tail, right? The, the tail's not in front, it's in the back. And so allowing your back to kind of proudly display back, right? Displaying our backs back as we play a piano in front might be an interesting. So uh, that was a long answer, but, but be creative, try something. Yeah. Don't be afraid to get in there and be playful with your students uh, and see what works. Um, you could tell a five-year-old, oh, you're using your hand in a way that it's not built to work that way. Let's find out how your hand wants to work. So we can allude to physiological functioning without saying physiological functioning. Yes. You know, we can do that. Let's see how your hand likes to move. How is it, how is it built to move? Let's find out. Like, let's take a square block. Is it built to roll? No, it's not built to roll. It's built to stack and do other really cool things. A ball is built to roll. Does a ball want to stack one on top of the other? No, it's not built to do that. So let's find out how our hands, and may I just say, please start teaching about more than hands and arms. Mm -hmm. It's my whole person that plays a piano. It's not just my mm -hmm. body parts. Who wants mechanical mm -hmm. music? No one. So mm -hmm. we use our imagination to play piano, right? We use our backs to play piano. We use our feet to play piano. We use our dreams to play, you know, en enlist your whole student in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and a minute ago, you talked about how you're posting this peacock idea um, on social media. So I want to use that to pivot for a second um, to end off by saying that, you know, of course, this is an audio only podcast and our listeners haven't been able to see all of these very helpful visual demonstrations you offer both on your pages <laughs> and your classes. I also see right next to you is this very helpful skeleton who always makes a lot of visits to your lessons. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what you're up to now, where they can get more information about you and some of the different services you provide? Oh, I'd be happy to. Thanks, Ben. So right now I have a class for musicians on Zoom every Friday at noon Eastern. And everyone that's listening to this podcast is invited to come as my guest and try a class for free. Hopefully we'll be able to uh, include that link. You can always find out about all my classes on my website, www atphila.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook group just for musicians. The Facebook group is Move Free, Play Free. And I love questions and requests and posting and making some videos and tips on that. I also have a video course for musicians. And I have guided movement sequences and all this great learning that you can see the demonstrations and move along with me. And that's also on my website and also called Move Free, Play Free. And then, of course, I do private lessons, both in person and on Zoom. And all of that is on my website. 
Yes, and I can vouch for those classes having taken several myself, and they were so helpful, not just for my piano playing, but also my conducting. Ariel, thanks so much for speaking with me. You have been a lifesaver to my technique over the years. I really appreciate everything you do. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much, Ben. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. I'll see you next time. Thank you.